0: The gospel is the great equalizer. The message that that we are all stuck in sin and afraid of death, yet freed by Jesus. The message that you are worse than you can imagine, yet more loved than you can fathom. That message binds us together as men and women, as brothers and sisters, not just in the faith, but in the human race. It doesn't matter if you are on the honor roll or the FBI Most Wanted list. Or if you're rolling around in a brand new Tesla or you can barely afford a bike. What binds us together at the foundational level is this truth. That when it comes to sin and dysfunction, you are worse than you want to admit. And yet, you, we, are more loved and secure in Jesus Christ than we can possibly imagine. That binds us together. That is the great equalizer. I bring that up because this morning we are continuing a series that we've been in called The Space Between Us, where we are desiring to bring a bit of hope and health to some of the dysfunctional relationships in our lives. You know those relationships where there's someone that you should be close to, but for whatever reason you're not, there's space between the two of you and what we're talking about this morning is the necessity of finding points of commonality and connection so that you might bridge that gap and restore unity and our model in this conversation is Jesus and how he closed the gap between us and god through his life and his death and his resurrection And if you look at Jesus' ministry, specifically how he taught and how he he spoke and how he introduced himself to other people, how he engaged with those, particularly those who were far from the religious community, you you see that Jesus employed a, a very particular tactic. Jesus chose commonality over discrepancy. He chose to focus on commonality over discrepancy. Now, I realize that that's a mouthful, but what I mean by that is this. Jesus chose to to focus on the things that we all can relate to, that we all can connect to, rather than keep the focus on the things that create the space in the first place. Think, for example, of how he called his disciples. Say, Say, Andrew and Peter. They're fishermen. That's their trade. They're not fishing because it's fun. They're fishing because they have to in order to make a living. But it's not ideal for them. What we know about the first century is that for most young Jewish men, the ideal was for them to have a rabbi and be a disciple. That was the ultimate aim. But if they couldn't make that happen, they went off to some family trade like fishing. So the fact that they were fishing meant that in somebody's eyes, they couldn't cut it as a disciple. They were fishing because they were disciple dropouts. They couldn't find a rabbi. And yet Jesus is walking around Jerusalem, he's looking to, to start his crew, right? And he sees Andrew and Peter, and he's like, oh, they're, they're fishing. And he doesn't call out and say, hey, rabbi rejects, come follow me. What does he do? Here's what he does. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus does this. He saw two brothers, and he saw that they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets, and they followed him. This is easy to overlook, but Jesus looks at them, and he doesn't see what's wrong with them. He doesn't see what's broken about them. He doesn't wonder aloud why they couldn't find a rabbi other than him. Instead, he says, oh, they're fishermen. Hey, guys, guys, I've got some fishing for you to do. Follow me. And they do. Or think about Jesus' teaching. Remember, what we believe is that Jesus is God in flesh, the Son of God the Father, As he opened his mouth to teach the truths of the kingdom, everything he taught us should have easily flown over our heads at 10 miles. But it didn't. What does Jesus do? He teaches at the ground floor. He uses parables. He talks about fathers and sons and lilies of the field and lost coins and laborers in the vineyard and wedding feasts. He uses things and imagery that we can relate to, that is common to us, that we can connect to, that we can understand. And, of course, it works. All of a sudden, as he's teaching, there are light bulbs of faith going off in the hearts and minds of all these people. He focuses on commonalities and connections in order to share the message, create a relationship, bridge the gap. And it works. Why does it work? Well, it works for Jesus in part because he's the son of God, God in flesh. But why does it work in general? Why will it work for you? as you seek to bridge the gap between you and the person that you're sideways with. Well, on a really basic level, the reason this works is because when you you focus on things that you have in common, you can see the humanity in the other person. A focus on commonality forces you to see the humanity in another person. When you focus on even the simplest of things that you have in common, points of connection between you and somebody else, It forces you to see a bit of yourself in them, and so you see more of their humanity. They become more real to you. Have you ever gone to like a carnival or a fair and had one of those caricatures drawn of yourself? You you know what I'm talking about, where you pay like 30 bucks to get a terrible rendering of yourself. Uh, These are actually caricatures that were drawn of me and my brother. I'm on my right over here. Uh, In 1985, at a place called Auto World in Flint, Michigan, we got our caricatures drawn, and if you look really closely on my caricature, it, it doesn't look anything like me when I was five years old, but what they did get right is that over my head there is a halo, if you look really close. <laughs> and there is not one over my brother's head. It's the one thing they got right. But you know about caricatures. What they do is they find, they find the features you like the least about yourself, and then they magnify those things until something that looks kind of like you, but more like an alien. They take all the humanity out of you and everybody gets a laugh out of it and you pay 50 bucks for it. Now think about the person that you're sideways with. You may not be able to draw, but I guarantee that you've made a caricature of them in your mind. It's what we do. We we magnify their faults. We focus on their idiosyncrasies. We, We make the issue between us larger than it actually is and the reason we do that is because it's it's easier for us to to hate that image than to hate the actual person when we dehumanize them and we make them look like something other than they actually are it makes it easier for us to justify being estranged from them but that's precisely the power of commonality finding points of mutual connection even the smallest of them is because when you find those points it starts to erase and erode that image, and you start to see them as human once again. Like I said a minute ago, the reason this is powerful is because really what you start to see in them is you. And there's nothing we love to love more than ourselves. C.S. Lewis has this, this great phrase about friendship. He says this. He says, friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, What? You too? That's how friendship, or even just being friendly, (laughs) is born. Commonality increases the humanity, which can lead to the possibility of some restored unity. And I don't need to tell you this. If If you've read the scriptures at all, if you've been paying attention even in this service to some of the scriptures we've already read, what you know is that God the Father loves when we land in that place of unity. He loves when the members of his creation, in particular the people within his church, who are filled with faith in his son, he loves when we are unified and connected together, when there's no space between us. Verse after verse tells us this. Scripture after scripture tells us to pursue this. Psalm 133, I'll read it again, celebrates this. Behold how good and pleasant it is to God when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. Parents, you've experienced this. You've had that moment where your children are getting along, and not only are they getting along, but they're being nice to each other, like really nice to each other. More than that, they're being kind and compassionate to one another, and you didn't even have to threaten them. You're in the other room, and you hear them consoling the other or doing a favor for the other, expressing love and compassion to one another, and you kind of peer around the corner and you think, oh my goodness, what is happening? they actually, come here, honey, they actually love each other. They're not choking each other. And you high-five your spouse, you're like, we're doing something right. That joy that you feel, that deep satisfaction you feel when your kids actually show care for one another, that multiplied millions of times over is how God is going to feel when you finally close the gap with that person that you're estranged from. God loves when we dwell in unity. Commonality helps you see the humanity. And when you see the humanity, you have a chance for unity. You have a chance. So then, how does this get lived out? What does this look like on a a more practical level? Well, I want to give you an image that I think is helpful. I think it's helpful when it comes to trying to wrestle with these relationships and and get some unity through commonality. Uh, The image is of... Well, uh, a knot. Imagine two strings bound together in a really nasty knot that you've got to try and untie. That's your relationship with this other person right there. And you've got to try and untie it. Now, what we want to do is want to focus on the differences between us, the discrepancies, the issues, the idiosyncrasies. But that's equivalent of holding either side of the strings and just pulling. And if you hold on to either string and just pull apart from one another, what does that do to the knot? It makes it... Just makes things worse. It Just becomes harder to untie. So that's not an option if you're really serious about getting this better. So the only way you're going to start to untie that knot is by getting close to it, bringing it right to your face. That's what we talked about in week one. And what we're talking about today is looking closely at the strings in that knot that are all overlapping on one another, that are all bound together and bunched up together. That's your commonality. Look for the strings that are overlapping in that naughty, nasty relationship. Look look for the strings of overlap, and, and you start to grab at them and pull just a little bit. There's some overlap here. Can I pull on this? Will I get anywhere? No, there's no movement there. Let me try this one. Some Overlap here. Can I, can I pull on this one? Maybe, maybe? Oh, I got some give there. Maybe we can talk about kids. No, apparently we can't talk about kids. Maybe, maybe we can connect over sport. Okay, there's some give here over sports. Maybe we... Okay, the weather, we both experience that. Let's talk. Oh, we got some give there. And what, what you do is, and this sounds so obvious, but it's so rarely tried with the person you're estranged from. You get in the same room. You seek connection, and you just work the knot, and you try to find the little areas where the strings are overlapped, and you pull, you tug, you try, and you see where there's movement. And before long... Things are starting to loosen. Couples will come to me, and they're struggling in their marriage, and they'll say, Pastor, we need you to pray for us and maybe give some biblical advice to us. And and this is often my advice. My, My advice, among other things, is you have to find something, anything, that you can connect on and agree on. It may be as simple as we just love each other. We can't get along. We can't agree on anything else. But we know that we love each other. Everything else is up in the air. (laughs) Start there. Talk about that. Wrestle with that. Pull on that. It, It may be that you're both hurt. You're both hurting. Start there, talk about that, pull on that. It may be that you you both want the marriage to work. You both have very different visions of what that's going to take, but you both want it to work. You can agree on that. Start there, talk there, pull, work there. It may be that you're both concerned about the kids and you can collaborate and cooperate there. Start there, that area of overlap, pull. See where you get any movement. The point is keep talking, keep meeting, keep searching, keep wrestling for even the smallest of points in connection and work that not until something gives. And very often... Very often it will give. So that's what this looks like. And you may have to go down to a microscopic level to get something you can connect on with this person. But that wasn't beyond Jesus. Oh, you're a fisherman, I can talk fishing. The apostle and pastor Paul ran into this in a big way in the church in Galatia. Some false teachers had come in there and turned that little church around in bad ways. They had begun to teach that it wasn't enough to have faith in the resurrected Jesus, but you now also had to adhere to all the Old Testament law. And uh, a debate, some major division arose within that church, and this church that was at once One at 1.1, was now experiencing a whole lot of space between different factions, and it was threatening to to pull this this important church apart. And we might think of that as just a theological debate, but but really it wasn't just a theological debate, it was more than that. It was was intense, it was personal. This, This conversation, this argument about the Old Testament law with people pointing their fingers at one another. Who's observing? Who's not? Who's really a follower of Jesus? Who isn't? Who takes the gospel seriously? This was an argument about race. This was an argument about culture. This was an argument about one community being privileged over the other, and it was also about religion, all mixed together. This was a very volatile, angry situation with intense separation within the church. And so Paul is, dealt with, Paul is left with trying to deal with that, and he's like, how do I create some unity here? And so he takes a cue from Jesus, and he, he cuts right to the heart of what it is that the church in Galatia has in common. Listen to what he says in chapter 3. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I'll read that last phrase again. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying this. Get close. Look at one another. Look at one another. Look closely. What do you see at the most, at the most foundational, fundamental level? of the people around you in this church? Is it the fact that some of you are Jews and some of you are Greeks, some of you are men, some of you are women, some of you are slaves, some of you are free? Look really, really close. Why are you here? That's not it. It's not that stuff. It's because you are all baptized into Jesus Christ. You are all forgiven of your sins. You're wrapped in his holiness as if it's your own. You are all wearing the same clothing of Christ's righteousness. You are not Jew and Greek, male or female. You are brothers and sisters in Jesus at the deepest, most foundational level. That is who you are. And you have a choice in front of you, church. You can focus on these doctrinal, racial, cultural disagreements, and we need to deal with them. But if all we do is focus on that, we will split apart. But if we hold tight to what binds us together at the most basic level and build upon that, we can deal with this. And in your relationship with that other person, you probably need to take the same approach. Your mind may need to be the same as Paul where you say, not to them, but to yourself, I can continue to focus only on that which divides us. Not that it's not important, but I can continue to focus only on that when I'm with this person, or when I think about this person, or I can focus on that which binds us together. And maybe it is faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe all you have, maybe you don't have that. Maybe all you have is a mutual interest in the Astros. Whatever it is, focus on that. That's your option. Build up from there or continue to push them over there, which will it be? Which will it be? I've got a couple of things that I've found helpful in trying to do this in relationships in my own life, but also in helping people with some biblical count, through some biblical counsel do this in, in their life. And uh, there are three things that I would encourage you to hold tight to as you try to create commonality and connection for the sake of fostering unity and restoring the relationship. It comes down to to these three things. Show your cards, stay curious, and put the best construction on things. By show your cards, what I mean is uh, they're struggling to see you as human as well. They've created a caricature of you in their mind too. In order for them to see a little bit of themselves and you to see you as human, you're going to have to do more than just show up and be stone cold. You're going to need to talk about the things you're hoping for, the things you're wishing for, the things that interest you. You're going to have to be vulnerable a little bit with someone that you might not perceive as totally safe. But if you're going to have a connection, a human connection, you have to show your cards. While you're doing that, stay curious. I realize that this person may be your mom, may be your child, may be your best friend from high school that you're suddenly sideways with. It may be someone that you think you know already completely assume you don't know the full story. Assume you don't know everything about what's going on in their heart and mind. Assume you don't know the whole person. And when you meet with them, don't only show your cards, but stay curious. Ask some questions. Play a little game with yourself. The next time I'm with this person, my goal is to find out something about them that I didn't know before. And what you're doing is you're tilling the soil of your mutual lives so that you can unearth something, anything that will help you see their humanity and they yours, and you can connect. Stay curious. And then this this is the hardest one. That's why there's a commandment. The eighth commandment touches on this. Put the best construction on everything they say and do. This is so difficult because when you're with them and they start talking like they always talk or doing what they always do, you're going to be immediately tempted to rebuild that caricature of them in, their, in your mind. Immediately tempted to do that. Tempted to say, oh, she, she's lying again. I bet. I guarantee, I guarantee she's lying. Or he's so lazy. The reason he hasn't got a job is not because there's no opportunity. He's just so lazy. There you are build, building that caricature again. Dehumanizing them. And some of the things you assume may be true, but for the sake of unity, put the best possible construction and explanation on the things that they say and the things that they do. Assume the best so that you have the opportunity to try and connect over the rest of what you talk about. Because otherwise, it's shot. One of my toughest days in ministry, if not the most complicated day I've had in ministry was June 28, 2015. It was, it was a Sunday night. And on the previous Friday, the Supreme Court had ruled in the case of Obergefell and Hodges, which was the case that decided that um, same-sex marriage was legal nationwide. And two days later, on a Sunday night, I'm set to lead a service in midtown Manhattan. And it just so happened that... The city's pride parade was that Sunday afternoon, just a couple streets over from my church. And our church was small, about 50 people. Uh, it was full of young people and incredibly diverse uh, diverse in, in belief, diverse in attitude towards the world, uh, diverse in lifestyle, diverse in, in ethnic makeup, uh, social economic makeup. Very, very diverse group of people. And as we got ready for service that night, people started showing up for church, and, and I could see really easily that, that they showed up in one of two camps. Some showed up, and they were, they were crestfallen, even heartbroken over what had changed in our nation in just the last two days, and they were worried about what this meant for the future of the church and uh, where our nation was headed as a whole. And they were carrying that burden in with them. And then there were others who came, and they showed up sunburned from the parade. And I watched as they sat on separate sides of the church. And they'd all shown up wondering, oh, I wonder what Pastor Matt's going to say about all this. <laughs> I was wondering the same thing. <laughs> I remember riding the train over and just praying and not knowing, like, how pastorally to address this moment, like, to be... Do we, is it a moment to, to speak the truth about, about what the scriptures say, about what biology and sociology all, all say? Is, is this the moment? Is, is there something else that needs to be said? And, and, and I just I couldn't shake the words of Paul from Galatians chapter 3. And as I, as I then wrestled with those words and thought about those words, as I rode on the train, it, it became clear to me, and I'll chalk it up to the Holy Spirit, it became clear to me that, that the greatest issue for that little church that night was not the new law of the land, but whether or not we were going to love each other well as we wrestled with the new law of the land. And that the greatest threat to us as a, as a church, as a Christian community, uh, was not the, the union of two people, but, but whether or not we would protect the unity of our congregation. And so as I, I stood in front of the church, I, I just plagiarized Paul. Paul. <laughs> I took his words as my own, and what I said is, uh, friends, um, the world has changed in the last two days. But here's what I know. The, the thing that, that binds us together as people at the most deep level is bigger and more important than the thing that feels like it could push us apart. And the beautiful Part of being the church is that when you're the church and and, and when you walk into this room, you are not left or right, progressive or conservative. You are first and foremost the baptized, the forgiven, the beloved. We are brothers. And sisters, and, and if we hold tight to that, if we start with that, we can build up from that in such a way that we can walk through and wrestle with this. Because there's some conversations we gotta have about this. But if we hold on to the thing that binds us together and build up from there, we can walk through that. That difficult conversation, we can walk through that together. But but if we jettison that, if we set that aside and we just focus on how the world's changed and the sides that we've chosen, we're already done. So which will it be? And then we did at that moment what we always did at that moment in the service. I I invited them to pass the peace of Christ to one another. It's that part of the service uh, where, where you look at the other person and say, peace be with you, and if they're Lutheran and a Star Wars fan, they say, and also with you. Only that night I encouraged them, I asked them, to not just turn to the person next to them, but to walk to the other side of the room and say, peace be with you. And to their credit, they did. The person that you're sideways with, it's time to walk to the other side of the room. and to bring with you peace. Not focused on the things that push you apart, but peace built on something, anything, that binds you together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, this is something that sounds so easy, but in reality is very difficult. We love to focus on the things that that keep us at odds with somebody else. We love to focus on how we're right and how they're wrong. But but, but we are grateful that you have not done that with us, that Jesus has, has come down to earth and met us where we are, not where we should be, and has given grace and mercy to us and met our deepest need. Father, we pray that you would give us the courage by your Spirit to walk across whatever room we need to walk across and find whatever point of connection and commonality we can so that we can see the humanity in the eyes of our sister, of our mom, of our spouse, of our friend, of our coworker, so that there might be hope of unity. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.